Glad you're with us here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you being empowered with knowledge so that you can keep more of what you make. Clark.com is our main website. ClarkDeals.com is where you go to save money each and every day. Coming up in just a few minutes in today's Clark Rage, you're going to be stunned how easy it is now for anybody, anywhere, to pretend to be calling you from someplace posing as someone else to rip you off. And later yet, I want to talk about an uprising going on around the country about rising rents. The solution people are looking to, in my opinion, is worse than the problem. All right, I got something for you that was in the March issue of Consumer Reports magazine. And it's a review of SUVs, compact, midsize, large, luxury SUVs. It's a really exhaustive list because you think about SUVs are now the dominant part of the vehicle market. Passenger cars in steep decline. SUVs have become the modern replacement for passenger cars. It's where the action is. So looking at the Consumer Reports study of SUVs, where they have uh, testing they've done on roughly 30 of the high-volume ones in the market, there's a trend that is really key for you to think about. First, the highest rated SUV in of all the SUVs Consumer Reports has tested recently is the Audi Q7 that is a it's a big SUV and it got a score of 90 on Consumer Reports car reviews 90 is sky high the only thing that really does higher than a 90 is the tesla model s that got the only time in the history of consumer reports auto testing got a perfect score but the audi got a 90 at a base price uh, and as tested price i should say of nearly sixty nine thousand dollars The next highest rated SUV was the Subaru Forester, and it cost $27,000. Following that, the Honda CR-V, $28,000. And right behind that, the Toyota RAV4, $29,000. In fact, those three, the Subaru the Honda CRV, the Subaru Forester, the Honda CRV, and the Toyota RAV4 outranked every other luxury SUV that was tested. So you could pay twice the money and get a car, a car, an SUV not as good. Now there's questions of prestige and riding around in something with the badge as some luxury automobile, and you might be of a mind, well, I'm not showing up 
in a Subaru, a Honda, or a Toyota. So what I would suggest, if you really would turn your nose down at these that tested so well, why don't you buy on eBay a logo for the SUV you really want people to see you ride up in and slap that logo on your Subaru, Honda, or Toyota because then you just save money. Now, the only SUV that came close to any of these in the luxury category was the BMW X3 that costs pretty much twice what the Subaru Forester, Honda CRV, or Toyota RAV4 cost. It's your money. You decide. Brian is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Brian. Hey, how are you doing today? Great, thank you, Brian. You got a son who's going to graduate high school this spring? That's correct. Is that pretty exciting? Uh, yeah, he thinks so. We think so. I mean, he's uh, headed off to school in the fall. So. Well, I have a countdown to how soon it is my daughter graduates from high school. Because <laughs> it's really for her benefit, because we're really going to miss her. But she's ready to move on from us, let me tell you. I hear you, I hear you. So how can I be of service with your graduating son? Well, him and a couple buddies want to travel out to the West Coast, uh, specifically San Francisco, and, uh, you know, check out Alcatraz and all that kind of stuff. They were wanting to drive, and I'm kind of discouraging them from that because that'll take up most of their time, you know. Uh, we're just trying to figure out a good way uh, for them to maybe fly out, maybe stop someplace and then jump to there or uh, stop someplace on their way back. So what's your uh, closest big airport? St. Louis. St. Louis. All right. Well, St. Louis has a lot of cheap fares to the West Coast. Okay. And, uh, you know, St. Louis, when it was a TWA and then American hub, was unbelievably expensive to fly in and out of and now that st louis has no dominant airline it's become a much cheaper place to fly to and from okay and there's a lot of southwest service there that you can only see the fares at southwest.com and and then in addition if you go to this website i'm going to give you google.com slash flights okay you'll be able to see the fares on everybody else other than southwest and it will put up a calendar for you that'll show the cheapest fare each day that your son and his buddies may fly okay and they'll have some flexibility right right and go and return so you just see oh it there's this great deal on Wednesday, but coming back, they're going to have to come back on a Tuesday because that's when the cheap fare is. Well, how about a, a, a stop on the way out or a stop on the way back just for someplace different? Well, they can certainly do that. Um, the question is, you know, they're at an age they can't rent a car. Right. So how would they get from point A to point B only if they took another flight? And the good news again, is that there's all-out fare wars in California right now to places in the West. 
Okay. And the reason is there's a, a big fight between Alaska Airlines and Southwest for dominance on the West Coast. And so they're doing all kinds of fare cutting. So they should be able to fly somewhere within the West pretty cheaply. And then, again, because St. Louis has become a bargain airport, get a deal from somewhere else out there back to St. Louis. Okay. Well, uh, another side kind of thing, like I say, they're, they're all 18, so I know they can't rent a car and things. How much trouble is it going to be for them to get a room? Is that something I can just book? and, and That is a great question I should have thought about and said. A lot of hotels will not rent to someone younger than 21. Right. And so that's something you'll have to look for when you're helping them out looking for deals. And they will not let you uh, book a room that they then would uh, show up to try to stay in. Right. If they look clearly under 21, they're not going to do that. So the alternative would be Airbnb. Okay. And rent them an Airbnb in San Francisco and uh, wherever the other places they decide to go to, rent them one there. Okay. And just as one parent to another, Las Vegas should not be part of their itinerary. That's what I keep telling them. Uh, wait until uh, wait wait a few more years till they're old enough to do that one. But yeah, because at eighteen, nothing good is going to come of them going to Vegas. That's that's what I keep telling them, and they won't be able to do anything except walk around and look. So, oh, they can do more than that, and it won't be good. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I would keep them away from that completely. <laughs> Cars is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi. How you doing? Hi. How you doing, Clark? I'm doing well. Great, thank you. So I've never had anybody with your name before. Uh well, yeah, it's a pretty unique one. So, how can I serve you? I uh, was calling to ask what the best game plan would be for paying off my student loans. I graduated in May with um, with about thirty six thousand seven hundred dollars student loans, and they're now down to. Uh, 18600 I've been paying them off as fast as I can. Wait, 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 wait. You ran through that. You started with yeah. how much in student loan debt? 36700 And how quickly have you gotten it down to half? Seven, eight months. Are you a miracle worker? <laughs> no, I'm just, uh, I'm just trying to be as cheap as you every day. Oh, I am so impressed. I'm like going to pop. Because I hear all the time from people with student loan debt that they're going to be in debt 20, 30 years, maybe forever, and you have just tackled this and you're eliminating it as a factor in your life. And the fact that in half, a little bit more than half a year, you've wiped out half the debt, the great thing is that the remainder, every dollar you pay, so much more is going to principal instead of interest. That's, that's right. Okay, you're my hero for sure. <laughs> That's good to hear. So uh, now that I've gotten completely befuddled, how is it I can serve you? Because it sounds like you don't need me at all. Well, um, I was just wondering. I mean, most of it was all generally low interest rates, the highest one being at around 6.7, which I, I paid off first. Um, but now the, all, all the loans that are left, the highest interest rate is 4 0.04% and the lowest is like 3.5%. And I was just wondering if I'm making a mistake putting all my free money at such low interest when I could just 
ride out the minimums and invest the difference. I think, uh, so you're out of school, uh, how old are you? 23. 23. I, I think you got plenty of time with your kind of aggressive thinking. You got plenty of time to build an investment life for yourself and extinguish this debt too. So I, with your mentality about it, I don't care how you do it from here. If you want to pay it off slower because the interest rates are so low and start taking money you would have put towards that and max out a Roth IRA every year, I would want you to do that just automatically. I want you to do that first. Okay. I wouldn't take, I mean, paid is agreed. You could pay this over uh, 10, 20 years. Well, I mean, I I went on um, income-based repayment and... uh, so, so you can take forever. Don't yeah. take forever. I would say even if you want to do what we just talked about, have a time horizon of, let's say, 10 years or less that you wipe out the second half of the student loans. Okay. Congratulations to you. This is fantastic. And you know what? I'm going to take that back. The way you're handling money, I want you to pay that off in five years because you're living on less than what you make, aggressively paying down debt. How could I dislike that? You're not believing today's Clark Rageous moment. It's become so common that criminals, debt collectors, who knows who, are caller ID spoofing, where you get a phone call that looks like it's from a relative or you get a phone call that looks like it's from a government agency or a bank or whatever, that it's become so easy for the criminals. I saw an item in the Cleveland Plain Dealer that services are being widely advertised that, and I'm not going to give away any business names because I don't want to lend and assist anybody who wants to behave in a criminal manner, but I'm going to just paraphrase one of the ads that they advertised to bad guys. You can spoof your number. And the number you want to show up in the caller ID. But that's not all. We can change your voice to sound like a man or a woman. And we can add background sounds. So it might sound like somebody's calling from a call center. Or a man is calling you, but it sounds like a woman. So that later, if the police were on the case and on the trail of a crook, they'd be looking for somebody of the wrong gender. I tell you this because I want you to understand how common and easy it is now for criminals to impersonate. And their crimes that are almost without punishment. And many times the criminals aren't even calling from within the United States and are beyond the long reach of our law. So when you see something pop up on caller ID, know that you cannot, this is terrible for me to have to say, but I have to say it, you cannot trust that caller ID. It is a real problem. I'll tell you something legit that's happening. I mentioned this a year ago. My son, who's 12, 
has a cell phone. I know there are parents that are like, what are you doing giving a 12-year-old a cell phone? He actually got it when he was 11. But the number he has used to belong to somebody who owes money to everybody on earth. And when I'm with him and one of the collectors call, I answer the call. Am I really getting a look-see into the behavior and tactics of bill collectors? I will tell you most of them handle it just fine. Others assume I'm a complete liar. How interesting. Glad you're with us here on the Clark Howard Show, where you're empowered with knowledge so you can keep more of what you make. Clark.com is our main website, and follow me at Facebook.com slash Clark Howard. I saw a stat recently that was very upsetting to me about the income that the little bit more than one-third of Americans that rent, what the average income is like for renters. And the stat that was absolutely upsetting was a stat that Harvard found that the average apartment renter over a 15-year period had seen no increase in their paycheck adjusted for inflation. In other words, over a 15-year period, the average apartment renter was in the same exact place financially they were 15 years prior. No real growth in income. But did apartment rent stay the same? No, they did not. Harvard also reports that rents are up, same kind of measurement, inflation adjusted, 15% around the country over that same time. So income flat, inflation adjusted, rents up 15%. That has led to a populist movement in state after state and city after city to pass rent control laws. I saw an item in the Wall Street Journal about the moves in various jurisdictions to have rent control. And I want you to know that rent control, although it sounds like a great idea, will actually harm renters over time. Not all renters, because somebody who's in a rent control department does great. This is how it works. So when I was in college, I needed the cheapest rent I could get. This was a long time ago, but my rent was $249 a month for a a unit I shared with a roommate, two-bedroom, one-bath apartment. It was in a bad neighborhood in a rundown building. I was there for a few years. Over that entire time, my rent rose under rent control from 249 to 257. If I had stayed many, many decades later, I'd still be paying a ridiculously low rent. But the building, I was by there recently because my daughter was looking at colleges in the Washington, D.C. area, and I drove her by where I used to live. <laughs> and I pointed out the building because it still looks awful. <laughs> 
It hadn't changed at all. She was like, you live there? And that's the problem with rent control is that the person living in the rent-controlled unit has a phenomenal rent, great rent, but if I'm the landlord, why am I going to fix anything? Why am I going to improve anything? And then as a unit goes vacant because somebody dies or moves somewhere else in the country, like I did, well, I didn't die, I moved somewhere else in the country, the apartment then resets to market rent. So you could have one person living in a, a unit that's 257 a month and the person next to them is paying 3000 a month. But the whole thing is when you interfere with the private property rights of that landlord, they lose their faith that they're going to be able to make a return on their money. And other people don't want to build rental housing because then they end up with rent-controlled units. And then you end up with a worse housing shortage. So the real thing we need to do is have policies in the United States that are those that would encourage someone to build, whether there are affordable housing credits or whatever it would be, that would create more supply instead of manipulating what's available already. Tyler is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Tyler. Hey, how's it going, Clark? Thanks for taking my call. Certainly, Tyler. How can I serve you? Okay, uh, yes, I had a quick question. Um, fortunate enough to be um, getting married um, because this coming May, excuse me. And, uh, well, congratulations to you. I sure do appreciate it. And I guess the question I have. So, wait, I got a question for you. Does her family like you? Uh, as far as I know, they do. Okay. Um, yeah, if not, they're pretty good actors. That's always important because you marry yeah. not just the person, you marry their family too. Exactly. Well, I love their family as well, so I'm lucky. Great. Um, well, I guess the question I had is just I've been kind of looking online just to see if there's any good um, financial literature or you know, something out there just for newlyweds, um, kind of how to, how to plan our finances and uh, be set for the future as we start uh, our life together. All right. Well, you are to be commended that you're thinking about that because how a young couple handles finances in a new marriage is one of the greatest sources of strain in that new marriage. Mm-hmm. And getting information about how to handle finances, the most common way I recommend is are you doing a wedding in, in a church or religious congregation? Uh, no, we're not. So you're getting married by somebody who's not a pastor or anything like that? Correct. All right. So I want to say something for other people, and then I'm going to come back and talk with you about okay. this. All right. So when when someone gets married in a religious congregation – it is common now that a requirement that the uh, minister, priest, rabbi, whoever it is who's, who's officiating will require premarital counseling as part of it. And the number one thing in premarital counseling now for so many religious, so many congregations is the financial side. And so people that 
are getting married in a religious environment have access to that and you don't. So there's a suggestion that I really have found works well and I know it's crazy, but I'm going to suggest two tracks. One, there are a number of podcasts on financial stuff that are very, very good that both of you listen to the podcasts, and they're free, most of them. And I'm going to give you some suggestions. One of them that is really good for a couple getting married is Afford Anything. And you can find, do you ever listen to podcasts? Yes. Yes, I do. All right. So that would be one. Another one that's very popular is Stacking Benjamins. And I think if you both were listening to those podcasts and others you'll stumble upon, that's a really good base and gives you a perspective, frame of reference on how to go about uh, handling money from the get-go. And then I have the suggestion I've given for 20 years. This is going to sound crazy, all right? Okay. You go together to a bookstore while there's still some left. Yeah. And go to the personal finance section in the bookstore and look through books that are that are in the personal finance area and you grab one, she grabs another and keep looking through them until you find one that like speaks to you that's like it looks like it would be a great guidebook for you and where both of you like the writing style and the philosophy of the writer, and you only need one. And you both read that. And I think uh, the podcasts, you can take them in bite-sized chunks, and having a book that really feels like a good guide, I think you'll be set. Because the very conversations you'll have will be the, the key to you realizing, oh, I think about money differently than she does, or I never thought about that. What do you think about doing this? That it creates those conversational moments, and at the same time, you're getting the tools to handle money better. Mm-hmm. How does that feel? Yeah, that, that sounds great. Thank you so much. And congratulations on the path you have coming in front of you. I sure do appreciate it. Thank you for everything. And Rob is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Rob. Hi, Clark. Thank you for taking my call. Certainly, Rob. Now, we were just talking about uh, someone getting married early in his life, and now we're going to talk about something that happens in the back half of life, right? Yes. We were talking about long-term care insurance. All right. Um, <clears throat> I, uh, I, I've actually spoken to two um, advisors um, from two different uh, companies. I'm still working with the second one right now. I have not made any purchases on it because the more I research it, the, the bigger it seems. Um, but uh, the, I, I guess I, I should just come right to my question to you. Um, with long-term care insurance, um, how much did I purchase um, and how will I know that it's going to be there 20 years down the line? I'm 57 years old right now. I'm thinking that we probably, my wife and I are both in good health. Um, and I'm thinking we're probably... You said not gonna, 57? 
Yes, uh, 57, 57. Okay, that's right in the sweet spot of when I like for you to look at long-term care insurance, late 50s, early 60s. That is the ideal moment to look at it because you're still uh, likely to be in the kind of health that the insurers will underwrite. You could always have something really wrong with you they don't health-wise they don't want you but usually late 50s early 60s you're going to pass medical underwriting with flying colors but but you bring up something so important you go back 20 years ago and there were probably more than a thousand companies selling long-term care insurance policies Mm -hmm. and today there's probably somewhere around 10 plus or minus and that's exactly what I found in the reading that I'm doing on on long-term sh- uh, care insurance. That uh, there's there's only a handful of them left. Um, and you do stand the risk of the premiums skyrocketing on you over a generation, because you know the odds are you may not need it till you're in your 80s. Mm-hmm. And so this is an impossible product. To make a good decision on buying. That's okay. why you're so confused because it's a it's a market that imploded, and the reason it imploded was insurers undercharged for it a generation ago. And I think about my mom, who's deceased now, who had a comprehensive long term care policy that had no limit on number of years and no limit on what it would pay. And that poor insurer paid out massive amounts of money for the years for my mom's care because my mom had dementia. Right. And so the insurers now will typically sell you only for three years or five years. Right. It's Alzheimer's and dementia that has become like, I guess, their their big... The The dark hole that all their money goes down into? Yes. Yes. So today, I don't have a great answer for you because it is so difficult to buy and and buy one that's going to be really good. The one company I would look at, if I was going to name one company Mm -hmm. that has had a really good reputation on long-term care is Northwestern Mutual. Okay. And I don't know if you've talked to them and I keep waiting for them to say, we're not writing any more of those policies. Right. But Northwestern Mutual is owned by its policyholders mm-hmm. and has tended to stand behind them on their policies, even though they've had increases just like the others. Okay. Well, I, I found that this is making me an expert in something I know nothing about. Now, there is an alternative I'll mention to you. If you are someone who has nice resources available to you. You can buy something that I look at as, in many ways, inferior to long-term care, but you can buy a, a whole life insurance policy with a long-term care rider, and then you won't be subject to any premium increases, but your benefit is capped by the face amount of the policy they sell you up front. And that is an alternative when you're looking 20 or so years out and you just don't know what the picture is going to be. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. 
Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company & Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's time for Ask Clark. That's where you post a question for me at Clark.com. Producer Joel asked your question for you. Clark Allen wants to know, he says, you were telling us about a phone app that would identify card skimmers at a gas pump. What's that app again? This is unfortunately only available for Android, and I've not been able to find one for iPhones, but it's called Skimmer Scanner, S-K-I-M-M-E-R Scanner, and it's a pretty wild thing. It will warn you when a gas pump you're going to pay at the pump looks like it's been compromised by a crook putting a skimmer on it. If you're not familiar with what Skimmer does... It's able to capture all the information from your credit or debit card that you put in to pay at the pump. All right, Mike says, we decided to freeze our credit this past year. Do we need the expense of continuing credit monitoring again this year? No, you do not. If you have already frozen your credit, there's no need for you to pay for credit monitoring. Credit monitoring is a pretty ineffective tool anyway. Credit freeze prevents a criminal from opening new accounts as if they're you. And so that's why credit freeze is so much more important, so much better. And you can look at my credit freeze guide by going to clark.com slash Equifax. All right. And Gail says, I paid off some of my credit cards. Should I close the accounts? No, no, no. And congratulations to you that you paid off some of your cards. The reason you don't close them is it will affect your credit score two different places on your credit report. So you want that credit being active and you want it being available, what I call available in your mix, which means uh, of your overall credit limits, you want that active and part of it because that alone accounts for a third of your credit score approximately. So just make sure you don't use them if you just paid them off. Good for you. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. If you've enjoyed listening to this podcast of our show, I'd love it if you'd subscribe. Whatever your favorite podcast app is, we're pretty much there. And whether you love what you hear from me or hate it, take time to write a review. It's how we all learn from each other is from those reviews. 